This week on the Boag World Show, we're joined by Jeremy Keith to talk about his uncanny ability to predict the trends that really matter in the digital field. This week's show is sponsored by Packley and the Digital Project Manager School. Hello and welcome to the Boag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development and strategy. My name's Paul Boag. Joining me on this week's show is Marcus Lillington, just about scraped in. Yeah, just got in there in the last minute. Yeah, we thought we'd have to do it without you. Um, But I'm sure that wouldn't have been a problem because this week we've got Jeremy Keith on the show. And he knows as many... Hello, Paul. Hello, Marcus. Hello. He knows as many dad jokes as you do, Marcus, so it'd be fine. Yes. Indeed. Hello, we were Jerry. talking, but we can we can have like a, a rap battle, but it'll be a dad joke. Battle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Who could tell the worst dad joke? I was. We were talking just before the show kicked off, um, uh, uh, saying about. I, I remember when my my uh, son was really young. We were at a conference with Jeremy down in um, in Cornwall at the Eden Project, and about how enamoured my son was with uh, with Jeremy, and it, it all came down to the fact that. Jeremy had encyclopedic knowledge of Star Wars and knew how to tell a good dad joke. So that's the key to success with kids. Full stop. Never grow up. Never grow up. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. I mean, I was thinking about this. When When I first met you, must have been... Well, when I say met you, I had... You didn't meet me. I saw you, which was speaking at... The, that makes it sound so dodgy, doesn't it? I was following you yeah. <laughs> through my window. <laughs> there you were. You, you were speaking at the App Media 2005 conference. You were. Right. Which was, the first ever App Media. Yeah, first ever App Media. First UK conference really about web standards. Um, we, Marcus was with me and we went along to really to hear Jeffrey Zeldman. Um, because we'd read his book, we were all very on board with, you know, um, uh, semantics and, and, and web standards and all those kind of things. And then some, for some reason, sandwiched in the middle of the day was this guy talking about JavaScript. Dobscripting and things like that. JavaScript, which, which everybody knew sucked, right? JavaScript was what you used for pop-ups and for for you know all the annoying things about the web were done with javascript and not only that it was just riddled Uh through your code destroying any semantics destroying anything that was good and it was like what the hell is this gonna be you had a tough crowd that day but yeah well that yeah i was the token javascript guy Mm. definitely but that was actually one of my favorite speaking experiences mm. because when it began, yeah, so every talk's about CSS. Yeah. And then right in the middle, there's this one talk about JavaScript and it's me. And then basically they're trying to win over a, a hostile crowd yeah. because you're right. Everybody thought JavaScript's this bloated buggy thing. You know, and if you tried it in the 90s when it was DHTML, mm-hmm. it was even worse, yeah. right? But I had the pleasure of seeing, you know, a room full of people come around 
and I could almost see light bulbs going off over their heads. Yeah. And that was a great feeling. I've never quite had that uh, that feeling at a conference talk since, really. Yeah. What's funny is now when I speak at conferences, I'm probably going to tell people, lay off the JavaScript. <laughs> you know, I've, I've come completely from, hey, you should use JavaScript. It's great. To enough with the JavaScript already. Yes. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, how, th- how times change and how things move on. But yeah, I was one of the people in that room that had that light bulb moment. I wouldn't have touched JavaScript with a barge pole until, um, until uh, you, uh, you came in. Uh, and it's like, as you're speaking about JavaScript, so Marcus drops out of the conversation. I don't know whether that is because there's buggy JavaScript on this site or just that you bored him. It's probably JavaScript. Bo- bored him senseless and he abandoned you, one or the <laughs> other. It could have gone either way. But I'm going to just carry on without him anyway. So, so Jeremy, back in those days, what were you, what were you doing at that time? Because you hadn't founded Clear uh, Left at that point. So what were you up Are to? We just about, I think it had just about started. Yeah, so, so that media was what, June 2005? Yeah. No, that was, uh, I think, the same month that technically Clear Left was uh, formed or registered at Christmas's house. So, but up until that point, uh, and you know, even technically for the first first while at Clear Left, I was a freelancer. Right. Um, I'd been freelancing since starting the whole web thing. Ah, Um, First in Germany, and then moved to England in two thousand. So I'd been living in Brighton, freelancing for five years. Um, before before we started up Clear Left. So, you know, doing a bit of everything, because when you're a freelancer, yeah. you have to be able to do kind of w- whatever it takes kind of thing. So, yeah, a bit of this, a bit of that, you know, <laughs> design, development. Yeah, that pretty much sums up most of us back then, doesn't it, Mine? That's, the, that's yeah. the difference. So, I mean, how do you describe your job these days? With great difficulty. Yeah. Um, because it's sort of in flux, but then it always kind of feels like it's in flux. Um, you know, if I'm talking to someone who isn't in the web mm. industry and so oh, what do you do? I would say something like, oh, I make websites. Yeah. Because, you know, in the broadest sense, that's sort of true. Although even like, what does that even mean to make a website yeah. these days? <laughs> don't, um, don't go meta on us. That's the- <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, the truth is, actually, at work, you know, I, I would very rarely be hands-on producing code on client projects, mm. and yet I still consider myself to be involved in the the making of websites. I suppose. Um, I mean, Clear Left uh, is is very much a design agency, mm. right? We're, we we do development as well, but it's it's user experience design is is what we what we as a company do and everything is kind of in service to that so we're not a technology-led company but that said we've always had you know very strong ideas and opinions about what's best um for the user uh and how certain technologies are better or worse for the user depending on how you use them um and i think we've always been associated with web development as well as as design uh, even though primarily, like I say, it's a design agency. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, my title at Clear Left is um, technical director. Um, and I don't know what that means. Because um, it, it's different to lead developer. Like my colleague, Danielle, she's the lead developer at Clear Left. And the lead developer is like, same we have a lead, you know, creative lead or design lead where like people report to her and, you know, she makes the technical decisions on a project like we're going to use React and we're going to use Webpack and all this stuff. And it turns out like I don't have 
uh, knowledge or experience or uh, anything in those kind of things. Yeah. So I kind of passed that all on to her. But I do still, um, I, I still feel very immersed in the world of what's in the web browser. So, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, mm. leaving aside frameworks and tools and all that stuff, but just what web browsers allow you to do. Mm. And so, I don't know, it seems like half my job is just keeping up to date with what web browsers can do. Yeah. And trying stuff out and, um, yeah, being aware of that stuff. I mean, sometimes it pays it like, to a casual outside observer, it might look as though I spend most of my day, you know, goofing off on the internet. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, don't be fooled. Um, <laughs> I am, I'm actually uh, researching mm. and... Um, I, it does it does pay off sometimes you know there'll be a meeting or something I was like oh actually I read something about this recently or oh I was trying this out on a side project and this could be useful for us mm. and um, that kind of stuff but uh, no if we're being honest I spend most of my time goofing off on the internet yeah but then it, it, when a, especially you know as a company like Clear Left grows and when it reaches a certain size you need somebody doing that you need somebody that is is keep ensuring the organization is keeping up is is aware of the latest things that are developing that is challenging you know the kind of um existing working practices within an organization so a bit of goofing there's nothing wrong with a bit of goofing off well i i, I sometimes like to consider myself the the research and development yeah wing of the of web dev at, at clear left yeah. Um, you know, who knows when the stuff will pay off. That, and, and you don't, do you? You know, sometimes it doesn't. You go down a rabbit hole and all of the rest of it. But, you know, sometimes it does. And that that's the interesting thing. That's the kind of heart of what I want to try and um, uh, get at with you today is, is that that whole process of predicting the next big thing and, you know, uh, and going where innovation is. Because, uh, you know, that's the... Well, let's go back to that at Media 2005 talk. You know, you were in a place no one else was, right? You know, mm. um, even if we then jump ahead and, and, you know, you were very early into Ajax as well before, you know, before a lot of other people. And even with microformats, which in some ways you could argue became a bit of a dead end, but in another ways it led to, you know, schema and, 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 and structured data and all of those kinds of things, which have become the backbone of, uh, you know, a lot that we're seeing online. So again, it kind of happened there. And so I'm kind of fascinated as to that entire process and, and, and playing that kind of role, because it's an interesting role, isn't it? Well, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's, it's basically down to just, you know, subjective, oh, I'm excited about this thing. Mm. Why aren't more people excited about this thing? This thing's really cool, right? And that, that was the feeling I had. You know, well, I had it with CSS, mm. you know, in the, in the 90s. And I was totally on the whole web standards train, trying to convince people, you should use CSS. You know, a couple of years later, I'm, I'm tired of talking about that just when it's starting to, you know, peak and, you know, people are finally starting to redesign big websites and CSS. I'm like, yeah, 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 CSS, whatever. But have you seen JavaScript? Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, there's, there's even this underdog mentality, I guess. It's like everyone else is talking about CSS, but 
why is no one talking about this other thing that I think is cool? Yeah. Like I said, like JavaScript was the underdog, which is hard to believe now, right? Yeah, but, no, know, weird. No. Having JavaScript on your skill set would have been like, ooh, don't know if we can use your skills. Like, it's, <laughs> it's hard to believe these days. Um, and, and to a certain extent, maybe there's an element of that. Like, I tend to gravitate towards things that are, that are the underdog, but mostly it's just stuff that excites me or interests me. And, and often it is me going like, why isn't somebody talking about this? Why isn't somebody writing a book about this? And then going, oh, yeah, it's probably going to have to be me. <laughs> <laughs> if nobody else is doing it and I'm complaining that nobody's doing it, I suppose the obvious answer there is that I guess I should yeah. do it. So I, I don't try and second guess it that much. Um, and I do worry sometimes. Like one day I'll just be like, nothing will interest me anymore. Mm. Like. Because I see people get excited about other stuff that I'm not interested yeah. in. And I worry, like, oh, is it me? Is the problem me? Like, people get excited about, you know, frameworks or build tools or, you know, things that are, you know, rightfully excited. People get excited about tools, mm. you know, tools that help them work faster. That's brilliant. But that sort of, that side of thing has never, mm. never really got me going. But then I'll get really into, you know, esoteric markup patterns or uh, some obscure browser API that, not many people know about and stuff like that so it's kind of just an instinct thing and i, I tend to just follow it and I, most recently it was service workers coming across this and thinking wow this is actually a real game changer and uh why aren't more people you know using this and sure enough it led to me writing another book yeah so have you ever got it horribly wrong have you ever you know sunk a load of time into a technology and then it it really has died a death well, you could make the argument that XHTML yeah. was, you know, a bit of a dead end. But it's not quite as straight cut as, as, as that because... So XHTML2 was definitely a dead end because with XHTML2, it was all about having the rigid error handling of XML applied mm. to the web. So if there's one single error in your file, the browser refuses to render anything. Yeah. And obviously that was a dead end because that seems crazy. That would be like making your entire application rely on JavaScript or something. It's just crazy. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but the the formatting of XML being applied to HTML, which was, you know, well, we'll make all the tags lowercase and we'll quote all our attributes and we'll use slashes for open elements because that's the way things are done in XML. That turned out to be, you know, almost like a mark of uh, quality or a mark of professionalism. Mm -hmm. And we still do it this day. Like, I mean... Most people I know write their HTML lowercase and quote all their attributes. And it turns out you don't need to do that. HTML doesn't care, mm. but XHTML did. Mm. And so you could say that that was, that was kind of a dead end and or its, it's only influence is, is at a very stylistic kind of mm. level. It didn't actually change much else. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to know, isn't it? It's hard to know when to, to step back from a bit of technology and go, you know, no, this is not, this is not going in the direction that, that perhaps it should or, you know, this, this isn't going to make progress. Especially the, the more you invest in it, the more committed you are to it. You know, I always think back at the, you know, the, 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 the days of flash or even something like cold mm. fusion do you remember that cold fusion from adobe and, i do yeah you know all those technologies and you have so much time in it and then it's like well no this isn't really gonna go anywhere now you know it's difficult yeah that, i mean that can be a real shame when you kind of bet bet the farm on something that 
turns out to be a dead end. That's why I think it's 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 nice to be able to swap things out. Like, oh, I'm going to swap out my code from Cold Fusion to PHP, or yeah. I'm going to swap out from Flash to something else. But um, I mean, the nice thing about the web is that generally, if you just stick to the core technologies, yeah. HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, they're pretty long-lasting things. And they're once something lands in a browser, it's not going anywhere. But that what that means is it's an entirely additive process. There's always new stuff. Yeah. Right, there's always stuff coming on, and there is sometimes stuff you have to try and throw out of your brain. Like I used to pride myself on being able to keep in my head three levels of nested tables, <laughs> right? Because that's how we were laying things out in the nineties, and like I, that was a valuable skill. Yeah, that was like I, I know kung fu, right? Yeah. But obviously, that's just a waste of space in my brain. And if I, I'm glad that I don't know how to do that now, right? Um, but, you know, there's other technologies that they seem like, oh, well, you know, they're gone now. But, but often it's, it's not that they're gone, but they became so successful that we, we don't talk about them. They're like air. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so you mentioned Ajax was something I you know, got really into 2007, yeah. 2006, 2007. And nobody talks about Ajax these days. Yeah. But that's not because Ajax has gone away. It's just every bit of JavaScript is Ajax yeah. these days. Right? Like updating the current page with stuff from the server like why did we even have a name for that yeah. you know that just seems like so normal these days yeah so so it's it's not necessarily just cuz nobody talks about a particular technology doesn't mean the technology was a dead end sometimes it means the technology was so successful it's it's evaporated into yeah. everything yeah absolutely <laughs> Let's take a little break and talk about our, our first sponsor, and then I'll get into um, uh, talking with Jeremy really about his career and where he, you know, how he got to where he is, etc., which is, after all, the topic of this season. Um, well, I want to talk about the Digital Project Manager School. So in digital, there is so many different ways of working, um, and you can spend so much of your time researching and understanding all these different um, approaches and it could be overwhelming and again almost like with technology you can jump on some bandwagon that goes nowhere Um, but no matter what your work environment you know we still need to deal with stakeholders and users and we need to have discussions about how we're going to go about moving through projects so it's not something you can avoid um, and this is why I've come to feature the digital project manager on this podcast, um, because I just think it is such a universal tool that's really helpful for everybody. Um, so it's a, it's basically a training course that, um, has a website, a podcast, an online community, an online school with tons of resources for project managers, um, or basically anyone who has to run teams either formally or informally. Um, so it was launched last year. Um, uh, uh, they launched a course called Mastering Digital Project Management, and they've received some amazing feedback from it. Pioneering and all those kinds of fancy words you expect to hear. Um, it's led by Ben Aston, who is a PM with over a decade of experience as a project manager across an extraordinary number of different verticals and sectors and all those uh, kinds of things. Um, and he's you know been running digital project teams uh for for donkey's years and now he's created this course around it so it's completely online it work um it runs over about uh seven weeks as a seven week curriculum covers everything from broader topics like uh project methodology and leadership skills and techniques for doing daily stat uh stuff um handling budgets writing briefs dealing with unexpected challenges all of those kinds of things so if you're 
organization is looking to improve the way that it runs projects um, and moves those projects down the pipeline, then maybe you can hassle them to um, actually cough up some money to pay for this uh, this course. You can find out more about it by going to projectmanager.com forward slash Boag World. All right. So, Marcus is back. Hello, Marcus. Hello. After your problems. I had to reboot my router. I thought, well, I'll go and see what kind of um, speed I'm getting. And I was getting 1.5 megabits per second. Um, wow. Which is probably why it chucked me out. But anyway, I'm back now. Good. Good. So, it wasn't JavaScript that was to blame after all that. We can blame after JavaScript. Me. Yeah, it makes me happy to do that. Right. Okay. So, Jeremy. Um, you've given us a bit of a potted history into your career path. So you were a freelancer before you founded um, a, an agency called Clear Left back in 2005. But how did you get into this field in the first place? Because you are of the age where the web didn't exist when you trained. So how did you stumble into this world? Well, in the, in the mid-90s, I was living in Germany selling bread in a bakery uh, and then I got into the web. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's an ob- obvious progression there. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, selling bread in the baker, but I was also playing in a band right. at the time. And uh, we decided we should have one of these websites that everyone's talking about. Uh. And um, my girlfriend, now wife, Jessica, was a student uh, in, in Germany. And she had a computer, <laughs> internet connected. So I said, I'll, I'll try and find out how you make websites. And uh, I made a website for the band. Wow. And that was my first website. Yeah. And uh, people said, oh, can you make a website for my band too? And we'll pay you money to make it. Aha. And I started to moonlight as a web designer slash developer uh, until I was able to literally give up the day job. Uh-huh and uh, start doing this web thing, uh, freelancing full-time. So I was freelancing at an agency in, in Freiburg in Germany where I lived. Uh, and then we moved to England 2000 and kept on the freelancing. So, that, yeah, through, through music is, is the short answer, through music. There you go. That sounds very poetic and, uh, and artistic, saying that you, know, you discovered it through music. What I love is the fact that you didn't have an internet-enabled computer yet to borrow your girlfriend's one. That amuses me no end. <laughs> I can't imagine Jeremy, well, I mean, Jeremy without a computer. I, I, growing up, I remember having a, a ZX81, mm-hmm. you know, named for the year it came mm-hmm. out. So that's that's me showing oh, my age. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I I had fun on that, you know, 1K of RAM till we got the 16K RAM pack. And we had an Amstrad 464 after that. Yeah. So I was exposed to, you know, moving my fingers up and down on computer keyboards. But obviously there was no... There's no internet connection. No. There was there was none of this networked stuff. And uh, and actually, so Jessica was was way more familiar with the web before I was. Right. Because um, we we met in Germany. She was studying um, sort of on a year abroad, and then she went back to America for a while. And that's when the kind of the web was taking off. And of course, universities were the first place to yeah. have, you know, the internet and the web. And so she was exposed to it before me, you know, text-only browsing and stuff. And then she was using graphical browsers, Netscape 3, Internet Explorer 3, before I was. And I distinctly remember sitting in an internet cafe in Germany with the old, the old yeah. IMAX, um, yeah. the old translucent IMAX. And she's showing me the World Wide Web now wow. and how it's all, you know, images and stuff. And me 
not really getting it, like, and not not understanding a lot of the concepts too. Uh-huh. Like, I couldn't tell the difference between a search engine and a browser. Yeah. Right. So to me, it was like, okay, Alta Vista, Yahoo, Netscape Navigator, Internet Explorer. They're all the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you type into this box what you want. Mm. And she's trying to explain, no, look, this is a browser. That's a search engine. And she said, oh, look, we'll open up Netscape. And she opens up Netscape. And, of course, there's a homepage when you open up the browser. And the homepage is netscape.com, <laughs> which has a great big search bar in the middle. So I'm just no, completely confused. <laughs> I, I'm not getting this yeah. at all. But so uh, I, I like to remember that. Yeah, you know, I was about to, to say the same thing. It's really important to try and remember that kind of stuff, how you felt. when I remember when I first used a mouse and how that confused yeah. me. You know, so... Well, I remember um, I had, a, I had a, a later Apple iMac, Ruby G3 iMac. And when it was, you know getting a bit long and tooth for me, I, I passed it on to my mother in Ireland. And I had in my head that she'd at least used, you know, typewriters or something, mm. electronic typewriters before, but no, nothing. So when we were over there, we were setting it up for her and having to show her everything. And I'm explaining, you had that pointer on the screen, you control it with this thing called a mouse. And I said, um, move, move the mouse up. <laughs> lifted it up. And she lifted, yeah. lifted the mouse <laughs> yeah. up into the air, yeah. right? Yeah. And I was like, no, no. And then I stopped and thought, I was like, oh, wait a minute, though. That is really confusing because we map left and right to left and right, yeah. but we're mapping forward and back to a different plane, yeah, which down, is yeah. up and down. But we've internalized that. We don't even think about that. Yeah. It's actually quite complex. Yeah. That's cool. And, and you still see that happening today in various ways, you know, of, of how we, we, we create this language that we expect people to, to grasp yeah. and, and they really struggle with it, which is hardly surprising. I mean, I saw someone posted in the Slack channel just this week, someone um, getting confused over the, the difference between a browser and a search engine. And that's in 2019, <laughs> you know. Oh, Michelle, it was Michelle, apparently. <laughs> it's so, so it still is happening. It's incredible. Well, so talk, talk, us, yeah. talk us through about a clear left and when when that came about so that came about in 2005 yeah why did it come about how did it come about why why <laughs> why why did you bother <laughs> i mean it obviously hasn't worked so you know no but what what caused that you know that decision to to pull resources um in in a word blogs mm-hmm. i would say in that we were all doing our own thing. I was freelancing. Richard Rutter was working at Multimap in London. Yeah. Um, and Andy Budd was working at a small agency in Brighton called Message, who's the designer there. But all three of us were blogging, you know, mm. web standard stuff, web design, web development, it was the, you know, the time of web standards. And so we kind of realized that if the three of us pooled together – we'd probably have a good reputation mm. based purely on our blogs because this is the the kind of vicious cycle if you're trying to start an agency is you've got no clients, you've got no reputation to begin with. Um, how do you establish a reputation? You have to get clients, right? So how do you break into that circle? And so sure enough, we found a clear left and right from the start, people were saying things like, oh yeah, clear left are good. Mm. We hadn't done any work yet, but people said that we were good because you know we'd written books, we had our blogs, uh, we had the reputation, you know, individually. Mm. So, um, but also, you know, why why form an agency at all was that we we saw. It's kind of like you know talking about why write a book or give a talk about a particular topic, a particular technology. Well, you know, and I, I'm saying it's, it's you kind of 
You're like, why isn't somebody doing this? Oh, yeah, I better do this. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like that, but it was to do with user experience. Yeah. It was 2005. The web standards thing was pretty much won at this point. I mean, it was a long battle, but, you know. But what was still a struggle was, was you know, usability, mm. plain old usability. It was, it was a time when you had to still convince people. You know, you'd give them copies of Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug mm -hmm. and say, like, read this. This is, you know, what it's all about. And we saw... Adaptive Path in America were leading the way, really, in terms of user experience as a as an offering, as a differentiator, but nothing in the UK um, or in Europe in general, I think. So we thought, well, nobody else is going to do it unless we start it. So let's let's start. So it was kind of to try and um, advance user experience mm. um, as a you know a, a discussion, really, and it still is is pretty core to Clear Left, and in everything we do, it's about pushing the discipline of design itself and now we talk about digital design maybe more broadly maybe it's not just about the web it's about you know design service design everything but it's always been about trying to nudge the the state of design a bit more and we thought we could do that by forming our own agency mm -hmm. which is you know probably sounds terribly narcissistic and like we're really full of ourselves. Like, oh yeah, we can, we'll change the face of design by forming an agency. <laughs> but you know, at the very least, we could, we could be the change we wanted to see. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, we'll be an agency where design is valued, where user-centric design is going to inform everything, and that's pretty much what we did. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. So, how did you work out? how that was going to work in those early days between the three of you because for a start you're not you weren't a, 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 um, a shareholder in the business were you? you had a slightly different position in it and uh, yeah to this day I'm, I'm technically an employee right because like uh, you know because with, with, with being a shareholder you get you get all the the, the benefit but then all the <laughs> risk as well of like how the company goes I'm like nah I'll just I'll just be an employee even though I'm a director I'm a director of the company and yet also employed. I don't know if that's dodgy. I don't know if that's no, legal. No, but, it's, uh, it's that's, not That's dodgy. the situation. Um, but it's a good question because we, I don't think we had a, an actual discussion going like, right, Andy, you're going to do this. Richard, you do this. And Jeremy, you do like, It just kind of happened that pretty much from the day we found a clear left, I don't think Andy wrote a line of CSS since. Right. And, and up to that point, that's what he'd been doing, right, was design CSS. And from that point, he was... You know, pounding the pavement, getting business, um, working with clients. Richard was pract a practicing UX designer f f at the beginning of, of Clear Left's life. And I was, yeah, web development mm. and design at the beginning of Clear Left's life. And those have morphed over time. But like I say, Andy was the one who, who made the biggest change right from the start to mm. go, right, I'm a businessman now. This is what I do, rather than, you know, making websites with CSS. Mm. Um, and it turns out, you know... I'm so glad that was the situation because it's funny. I remember at the same time, 2005, same time Clear Left formed out of, you know, a bunch of bloggers deciding to form an agency. The same thing happened in America. Do you remember Blue Flavor? Yes, yes I do. Yeah. Right. It was like um, Keith Robinson, Matt May, Brian Fling, mm -hmm. and they decided they'd form an agency. And we had this weird parallel existence for a while. Like, we were like, okay, we're, we're buying an office. And they're like, we're buying an office. Yeah. Like, we're hiring. Oh, that's funny. We're hiring too, right? And and it was like this 
simultaneous growth on both sides of the Atlantic. But they ended up imploding, and it um, no longer exists. And I met up with Keith a few years later, and I said, you know, oh, uh, whatever happened with Blue Flavor? And he said it was a lot of frustration because they were all designers. Yeah. None of them were business people. And Keith was doing the business stuff, but he wasn't happy about doing the business yeah. stuff. He kind of had to do that. And it was frustrating. Whereas Andy was quite happy, it seemed to me, from day one. He was like, okay, this is what I do now. Um, whereas, you know, if I had been thrust into that role, I never would have lasted. You know, mm. to this day, I avoid anything to do with business and management and that whole side of the business because it's like not my scene at all. So kind of good luck in some ways that we all sort of found the right grooves, I guess, because it could have easily gone wrong. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, we, we had the same, very much the same thing. We just happened to, to complement each other really well. And it, yeah. you know, that, that's more by, by luck than judgment, I think really, but yeah. it does yeah. make all the difference. Doesn't yeah. It makes it very, I, I, you know, I think maybe it's sounding like, you know, getting together with people to form a <laughs> band um, obviously, you're going to have complementary skills musically, but you also kind of need to be on much the same page about what you're mm. aiming for. Yeah. Like, I'm sure you could relate to this, Marcus, but if you're in a band and, you know, one person in the band is like, yeah, we're going to make it big. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be on top of the pops. <laughs> and another person is like, this is a fun thing we do on the weekends, mm-hmm. right? Then it's inevitably gonna it's not going to work yeah. out because, <laughs> yeah, that there's a misalignment. Yeah, The bands I'm in these days, nobody tends to think about being on top of the pops. Top of the pops isn't a thing anymore, is it? It's not. <laughs> just, we really are yeah, showing I was using it as an illustration. I've been <laughs> on top of the pot, so I don't want to be on this ever yes. again. <clears throat> I, I'm just going back to the point about being... Yeah, but no, you're right. And, and Sorry, I was going to say the, about the point about being a businessman. I've said that we were lucky that we had business people. I mean, Paul is as well. All three of us were happy mm. to do the business side of it. Uh, and I think that that... Yeah, I mean, it's as simple as that. It, it was just lucky we had that. We were able to employ people who wanted to kind of like delve into code and and spend all their day designing and that, and that kind of thing because nobody nobody really wants to do that i, I found I, you know we've, we as we get older i'm thinking i wonder if there's somebody who would like to take over this role or get more involved in the business side mm-hmm. nobody does so it's yeah. you were lucky and it's um you, know, you were lucky to have andy no one says mm. you don't hear that every yeah, day do you very but, much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> bless him it's, it's true, true. It's true. Anyway, sorry. I mean, sorry. you're entirely right. It's, that it's, it's easier to employ designers, developers, and people like that. Mm. Not, not that their skills are less. No. It's just that if you are the founder of a company, if you're creating a company, you have to lead that company. It's very hard not to. Mm. I mean, you only need to look at half the Silicon Valley startups and how they all lose you know, yeah. something when they lose their founder CEO. Mm. You know, And so... Uh, it, 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 you're the one that creates the heart of the company, and if that that's not embracing the business side, I think that's quite a difficult thing to do. I'm starting to have to kind of realise that, I guess, because I, if anything, like I, I feel you know just guilty. That I'm kind of doing what I like at Clear Left. Right? I'm, I'm <laughs> goofing off on the internet, researching stuff, and sharing interesting stuff I've found, writing a newsletter, speaking at conferences, blogging. It's like I'd be doing this stuff anyway, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I almost feel good. It's like, oh, you know, all these other people at Left are actually doing work and they're like making websites for clients and stuff. Um, but trying to, you know, one, see the value of that, what I do, but also just seeing the value that I've been at Left since day one and that in itself is a valuable mm-hmm. 
thing for newcomers to clear left to have someone that they can talk to and observe um, to get that feeling of of what is clear left yeah. what's life like at clear left that you have this you know the the founders have a a, a role well you see roles are interesting because you, you can be assigned a role or you can take on a role right my new role is in marketing my new role is in mm -hmm. development but being a founder is like well you you are that thing and you can try and avoid it if you you know and i think i've been trying to avoid the responsibilities but um you can't like look you've been at clear left from day one you founded clear left with two other people you can't change that you can't pass that on to to someone else um it's a little scary you're, you're the well, father of the it. house jeremy that's what it is <laughs> that's, <laughs> well, three three that's actually a really interesting one jeremy because this this has come up a couple of times through this conversation you obviously don't take naturally to that side of things. You know, you, you, you weren't very keen to become a shareholder in the company. You kind of are reluctantly a founder. You try and avoid the kind of businessy side of things. What is it about that kind of stuff that makes you uncomfortable? It, it's high risk, high reward, right? Right. It's a lot of responsibility, which is a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. It also you know, gives huge value and it's very um, fulfilling mm. because when, it, you know, when things work out, it's, it's fantastic. But I'm, I'm not willing to take the, the stress right. that goes with it. I'd rather have, you know, just a more steady state kind of um, level of, of responsibilities than have to have, like, the future of the company is resting on your yeah, shoulder. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. That's, that, that really scares me. And, and a lot of time I realize, like, I, well, I'm... I'm I can't do anything about this. Now I've got all these responsibilities, but it's not like I can do something about them. I just have to be worried about them all the time. Yeah. It's like, I want somebody else to be, the, to be worried about that stuff. Yeah, so you're much more lifestyle orientated in your career. You know, you want to be able to do what you want to be able to do and enjoy life and, and that kind of thing rather than necessary to build an amazing career. You've, you've almost stumbled yeah, very... into doing that bit, haven't you, really? <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm extremely unambitious. Yeah, extremely unambitious. I'm like, I'm just happy to, um, you know, um, make some websites every now and then learn some new things, play my mandolin. I'm happy, right? Yeah, right. My blog. Fine. I don't I don't have any great ambitions. Um, yeah. And then I'm OK with that. But it's interesting. You know, I know you don't want to think about it, but actually the role <laughs> that gonna you have you. within, <laughs> but I'm going to make you, yeah. the role that you have within the company is quite a crucial one in some ways, because not only are you, as you, you said earlier, you're like the unofficial R&D department, you are a founder, but also you're, you're probably one of the more significant elements of the marketing engine that is clear left because you're the one out there speaking the whole time. You're the one that's probably blogging the most regularly out of the, the three founders. So you're the, in some ways you've become more of the face of the company than Andy and Richard have simply because they're involved in the day-to-day -day stuff. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. That's true. Um, no, and Andy does a lot of, of writing and speaking oh, as well. Does he? Oh, so, okay. But I would say, I mean, but at, but at the same time, Andy is kind of Andy is um, less involved with the day to day management now. He's right. uh, Richard has taken on the managing director role. This is just oh, in the last oh, year. I oh, I didn't know that. Um, it is, you know, because it is a high stress yeah. thing. So it's it's you know, I think I think Andy's happier being able to to hand it over. I think it's tough. It's a tough transition mm. for everyone. 
but it's going great. You know, Richard is is doing a fantastic job. But Andy, that does mean Andy is also able to speak at conferences. I mean, he was doing it anyway. He was he was burning the candle at both ends a bit, I think, before this. Um, but he he is also quite visible. Yeah. But you're right. It's like out of a company of twenty something people, you know, maybe maybe two, maybe three people speak at conferences, yeah. right? Um, and and in an out outweighed amount. Like I'll speak at a conference maybe on average once a month. And if someone else speak, clearly have to speak to the conference, it might be once a year, yeah. right? It's, oh. it's a lot less. So you're right. There is, a, there is an extent where I'm the visible face of clear left. But again, that's not because we're like, okay, here's the plan. Yeah. We're going to have one of us be, you know, the visible face and speak at lots of conferences. It's more like I f- found myself speaking at media in 2005 and was like, I like this. <laughs> I want to do more of this. And when I get excited about a thing, I want to share it. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, I, people will actually you know, give me a platform to stand up in front of a room full of people and say what I think. Yes, please. So again, it wasn't like this, this strategic plan. It's just, it worked out that way. Mm. So as with many of these things, it just turns out that clear left is, you know, a happy home for me to be able to do the things I would be doing anyway, or I like doing. Um, this way I feel so guilty all the time. It's like, all oh, these other people yeah. are clear left are working really hard doing real work. And I'm just, speaking at conferences and talking and blogging and stuff and then other people have to remind me you know if i they would say well if i was had to speak at a conference i would consider that more hard yeah. work yeah yeah than than the you know what i'm doing now and they're like oh great for other people this this what i'm doing is hard so i guess you always kind of underestimate the stuff that you take for granted and you think yeah yeah but this is the easy this is easy what the other person does that's really hard yeah but to the other person, it's like, no, no, what I'm doing is easy. Anyone could do this. But what you're doing, that's really hard. Um, but And the marketing thing is interesting because you're right. That's what we tell ourselves. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, Jeremy's speaking at these conferences. And that's really good PR for Clear Left, right? But I don't think we've ever got a piece of work as a direct result <laughs> of any of us You don't get crowds of people at the end of your talk saying, and can we hire you for this Go, massive we, project? Yeah. So... I think there's a halo effect. Yes. Right? I think there is like that, you know, something tickles the back of the head. Clear left. Clear left. Is that, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that guy speak at that conference or, oh, yeah. You know, let's say we're in the running, we're up against three other agencies and it's like, oh, yeah, but Jeremy Keith, he wrote that book or he spoke at that conference. So maybe, maybe we'll go for them. Like Maybe that's the situation. I'm telling myself this. I have no evidence for this whatsoever. You know, this is how I justify my existence is that maybe there's this, <laughs> this halo effect of marketing. Um, and it's the same with, you know, we put on conferences, right? And again, this is because our whole ethos has been about pushing the, the practice of digital design forward. And that's why we do it. Also, very greedily, we want to hear from these speakers. So, right, we're going to bring them over to England and put on a conference so we can hear them. And people say to us, ah, that must be great for the business. Like you get all these people coming to the conference and then they must want to hire clear left, right? I'm like, well, actually what happens is we get all these people come to the conference, we put on this great lineup of speakers, and all the attendees go, oh, yeah, I want to get that speaker yeah. working for my company, yeah. right? They don't, they don't think about hiring the conference organizers. No. They think about hiring the conference speakers, I guess, right? So, but you've contradicted as well. yourself there a little bit because on yeah. one hand you're saying you're not winning work as a speaker and then you're not winning work as an organizer. It can't be both both cases. I mean, I can be a rubbish, I can be a rubbish speaker. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we know that's not true, Jeremy. Um, but actually, I think you, you've kind of got a point that I certainly I don't think speaking at a conference is by far the most efficient way of marketing. 
Because at the end of the day, you're yeah. only speaking to, what, a few hundred people at most while you write a blog post yeah. and you might be speaking to thousands. But I, I think what what it does, it's about reputation building, isn't it? It's about um, being perceived as people that are, um, uh, you know, oh, if he was given a speaking slot, he must know what he's talking about. And so that, therefore, it has maybe a bit of a knock-on effect there. And I think the other thing is, is is oftentimes you it as speaking and writing books and blogging and that kind of stuff it gets you in the room with opportunities because what i often find that happens or certainly happened at uh, at headscape a lot was that you know um some organization say a university right somebody in senior management have decided we need to redesign the website and the poor old guy in the digital team is going well Mm. if we're going to get someone in to do this at least it's going to be paul and the headscape team who we know Mm. you know so it's, yeah, we, we even had a, a persona for that yeah. when we were redesigning our website. We had to, and uh, no, the person we're aiming for is obviously the, the manager of the company. That's who the uh, yeah. website's aimed at. But we had this persona of, you know, this person who is already aware of our reputation as a peer, like another designer, another developer. And they don't make the decisions at this company, but maybe they get uh, to say something in the meeting. and Or maybe someone came to them and said, who do you, who do you think is a good, you know, design agency? that our name would bubble up from from this kind of type of person. So, yeah, we identified exactly that. But, like I said, it's not at all the main audience for the website or main audience no. you know, for new business. No, but it is. it does justify you going around the world speaking. So that's, that is worth it from that point of view. You should Absolutely. do more blogging, more more uh, more speaking. Don't don't worry about any of the project work at all. You don't even need to keep up with it, Jeremy. Just head off <laughs> into the sunset. This well, good because that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> do you? I mean, with that kind of structure of you know, with, bearing in mind the somewhat eclectic mix of things that you're doing, do you have any kind of schedule in your working life? You know. Or is it, I mean, I imagine, for example, you getting involved with clear left to, at a project level is pretty much impossible to some degree because, you know, people can't rely on you being there. So so how does that work? Is there any kind of structure to it? Um, no, is the, okay. is the answer. There is no kind of structure. But it, it, I do, I can, I should probably be sticking my nose into more projects, actually, because there right. are definitely opportunities where I could come in and, and workshop with the client mm-hmm. for just a day yeah and it would be valuable and i have done that and it's been great but yeah no being involved in a project from start to in, you know discovery through to you know completion very very rare that i would be involved as one of the you know full-time staff mm. on a project um but yeah dipping in and out yeah um Particularly if it's something, you know, if there is a an angle involved that it's something I know about, you know, if it's performance or, you know, a offline, you know, progressive web app stuff or, you know, an accessibility angle or stuff like that, then I'm like, oh, okay, I can I can contribute something here. Mm. But remember, most of the work at Clear Left is very much design-based, so yeah. it's around things like, you know, research and, and all this, and like, well, not really anything I can do here. Um, but no, there isn't that much of a structure um, I mean, I could talk about, let, let's see, should we take today as an yeah, example? Yeah, go on. Good idea. Okay. All right. So I woke up and... <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I woke up a little early. I had my alarm set for 8 a.m. 
which mm. for me is quite early. That would be early for me. Um, but I actually woke up a little sooner. <laughs> a lion, yeah, yeah. that is. So, <laughs> anyway, yes, uh, I got up and opened up the computer, which was probably, you know, I, I'm, I'd, I'd love to say like, yeah, I, um, I greeted the dawn with meditation. <laughs> and I went, to, I went to the gym and uh, crushed it and pumped iron. But no, I, I sat in front of the computer and... Um, you know what I did? I, I read, and this is another aspect. If you're going to, if you're going to talk, write, you need to read, and if yeah. you're going to speak, you need to listen. Yeah. And so I actually spent a lot of my time uh, soaking stuff up, you know, absorbing stuff. So I started my day reading stuff. Um, I don't think I had any tabs open in my browser from last night. Those, I think, it was all of like fresh stuff. I got a, a newsletter in my inbox from uh, Peter Gaston. Has a fantastic newsletter. I'm going to recommend to everyone called The Thoughtful Net. Um, and he posts quite long-form stuff. So I was filling up my browser tabs with great stuff, uh, reading, found stuff, and then I linked to stuff. So if let me take a look at my website from today. This morning I linked to three different things. And the first one was CSS. It's a post about using CSS Grid and some really great advice in there. Looking forward to taking some of that advice on board. The second post was uh, Bruce Schneier talking about the blockchain and how it's a load of crap, and particularly from a security angle. So I linked to that, quoted some stuff. And the third one was an interview with Nick Harkaway, the author, talking about science fiction, talking about um, technology. So that's a fairly representative mix of you know three links I would link to over the course of the morning. And then I wrote a blog post, um, which was uh, two weeks ago, I was in Seattle for the Interaction Conference. And um, my colleagues at Clear Left have posted a, a blog post on the Clear Left blogs saying it was great and here's all the great talks. But I was there as well and chatting with them and the general consensus was it wasn't that great. There were good talks, but you know, there's maybe one day of good talks in amongst three days. So I wrote a blog post saying, like, here's why the conference actually wasn't that great, um, which I feel a bit bad about because it's kind of like a bit negative. Um, you know, you're supposed to... Praise in public, critique in private, but as they 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 kind of messed things up with having they they had they sold more tickets than they had seats for, which um, yeah I felt like I have to say something about that yeah anyway so at that point I've I've linked to stuff I've been reading I linked to stuff I've blogged then I got dressed <laughs> so I'm glad you managed that by 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 now if I'm honest yeah so it's about ten o'clock in the morning maybe at this point. And I put some clothes on and I went into the office. So walking into the office, it's about half an hour walk from my house. And that's my podcast listening time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, listen to different episodes of different things, things I've huffed-duffed on Huffduffer. Mm -hmm. And arrive into the office about 11 a.m., I think, was when I, I showed up. And then uh, the reason I wanted to get there by 11 a.m. was because I had, did have an appointment at 11 a.m., which was to have a one-on-one -on -one with Cassie. And Cassie is a junior developer at ClearLeft. And so even though I'm, you know, like I said, Danielle is the lead developer at ClearLeft, uh, I'm coaching Cassie, right. sort of mentoring her and uh, stuff. So um, actually that's where a lot of my focus is these days. Um, and I love it. I mean, it really gives me a great sense of fulfillment. Um we, you know, in the past at ClearLeft, we never really hired junior people. You kind of had to be top of your game to, to start, but that doesn't scale. So no. twice now we've kind of demonstrated by hiring a junior developer and taking good care of them, yeah. you know, you, you reap the benefits very quickly. So 
Cassie's just awesome. She's great. And um, we had our one-to-one, and then Cassie's been working on a redesign of the UX London website. Oh, yeah. So we were going through the code and and, um, launching the site. It went live, and it's fantastic. She's done amazing work. And then it was lunch. It was about 1 o'clock, and I put into the calendar that I was going to do a brown bag lunch. Uh, Sort of, you know, uh, people come to the room. Normally, I'd buy them lunch, pret sandwiches, whatever. I didn't buy them lunch today. Um, and you listen to someone talk about something. And I talked about what I was, what I did last week. It's kind of like what I did on my summer holidays. <laughs> right. Um, because last week I was at CERN. Oh, yes. I saw your back week. Yeah. So I gave a kind of potted history of that. Um, and then it was back to uh, more the looking at the UX London code a bit and helping Cassie in any way, not that she needed much help. Um, and then it was time for me to come home because I knew that it would be easier to do this podcast recording from home than at the office because you know what it's mm, like yeah, with noise yes. and conference rooms. So that brings me up now. If I weren't recording this podcast, however, I would probably be procrastinating um, <laughs> about this conference talk I've got to get prepared because I'm, I'm going to be speaking at an event apart in like less than two weeks right and i've got a lot of the talk ready but it's not finished and it's not practiced yet and i really need to do that and because that's that's urgent and i really need to do it i probably wouldn't be doing that i'd be finding something do, yeah, else exactly, to do that yes. needs to <laughs> which is I, I am actually making a website a very humble little website which is uh, another conference website um in 2017 i put on an event called patterns day Mm-hmm. One-day event in Brighton, all about design systems, pattern libraries. Yeah. Well, here's a little exclusive for your les- listeners, is mm-hmm. that Patterns Day is coming back. Excellent. So um, mark your calendars, June 28th. And anyway, I'm making a website to say, Patterns Day, it's back. Um, and uh, I'll probably launch that next week. So I've actually been writing HTML and CSS and JavaScript, which, which, is, is, which you say you never do. Unusual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's not true. Sometimes I do. Um, so that's... That was a day today. But you're right. You know, if, if you'd asked me what was my day like last week, it would have been completely different because, like, yeah. I was at CERN. Yeah. And in two weeks' time, it's like, well, I'm going to be at an event apart. So it's not like – it's not a routine as no. such. But I would say that today was fairly representative. Yeah. Uh, that, that sounds very familiar, you know, kind of flitting from thing to mm. thing, making progress on lots yes. of different fronts simultaneously. Oh, yeah. It's Procrastinating a lot. Yeah. But do you have the same thing that I have, which is that I've kind of now reached the point where that's almost the best way of me working. If if I have to sit down and work on just, say, that presentation and I'm not allowed to deviate, I just end up dribbling. I need to go off and do something else for a bit and then come back to it and then go off again and come back to it. Or do you like big blocks of time still? No, I, I have to trick myself. Um <laughs> But what I'll do is I'll always have two things that you need to get done. Yeah. And that way it's like, okay, I need to get this thing done. Oh, I really don't want to. Oh, I'll procrastinate by doing this other thing. Yeah. Ha ha. Yeah. That other thing also needed to get done. <laughs> I've tricked you into doing other thing all along. Um, but what, what you're describing there is interesting because I remember Christopher Murphy talking about this. He, he coined it late binding. And he was talking about this kind of good procrastinating and bad procrastinating. Yeah. So bad procrastinating is where you literally leave everything till the last minute, mm-hmm. right? The night before the presentation, like, oh, I need to make that presentation. And you do it all then. That's not good. That's never good, right? But the good procrastinating is when you start something. So you start it months ago. 
and then you stop and you leave it to the side. Yeah. Because it turns out that once you've made that start, the gears are going in yeah. your head. Absolutely. And you're, you're, you know, it's, you're in the shower, you're, you know, in walking into work and something will pop on the radio or something like, oh, that's a connection. There's something I can use there. And you're, you're, you're in a, kind of more of a magpie mode now, and you're able mm-hmm. to soak up those this connections. This is how I work. Whereas if you just leave it to the last minute, you know, you, you're denying yourself. So there is something to be said for starting something and then putting it aside until the last minute, and then you finish it I've at the last minute. I've always said right? that all I need to do is create, because I do write loads of documents. That's what I do an awful lot of. I just need to create the document. It needs to exist. And that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. That, and knowing that means that I can kind of slowly carry on finishing it off. I mean, I'm in panic mode until, you know, until every it writer. Yeah, every writer says this: like, "Oh, what's the key to writing?" It's like you move your fingers up and down yeah, on exactly. the keyboard. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't actually matter what you're producing, um, and it's so true. Oh, have you ever heard, have you seen this app? It's called the Most Dangerous Writing App dot com. Oh, is this one of the ones that deletes? Um, if you yes. stop typing, it deletes everything yes. you've written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, yes. Uh-huh. It's great. You set a timer, like, say, five minutes, and you have to keep typing during those five minutes. And if you pause, the words start to fade. And if you pause too long, you've lost it. It's gone. Yeah. If you get over that five-minute threshold, it's saved, and you can keep writing. And usually that's enough to get the – you know, you're just typing, like, I'm just typing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just writing rubbish. And then I'm trying to say this, and what I really want to say is that. And then – before you know it, you're saying the thing you wanted mm-hmm. to say. And, and it's, it's never, just that act of... I, I'm always shocked when I reread what I've written like that. It's never as bad as I thought it was. You right. Know? So it turns out there is absolutely no correlation between the amount of time you spend sweating over something yeah. and the quality of the thing at the end. And I've certainly seen this with, you know, blog posts, for example. It's like... You, something you spent ages researching and crafting, and then finds like I am going to unveil this to the world, and crickets, right? Tumbleweeds, yeah. nothing. <laughs> and then the thing you write when you get in late from the pub, drunk, and you just bash this half-formed thought out. It's like you're on the front page of Hacker News or whatever. Like that's the one that everyone links to, and it's like really, really the thing. You know, there's no correlation between the amount of effort you put into something and the attention it receives. I think we ought to end with that profound piece of wisdom. Wonderful. Because I think that that's a, a brilliant thing to end on. <laughs> and I do just want to talk about my, uh, the second sponsor we've got today. It's a, a new sponsor um, and, and uh, one that will appeal to those that resonate with Jeremy's dislike of business stuff. Because um, as a, if you're a freelancer or you own a small business or a startup founder or anything like that, you're responsible for all of those business contracts that you've got to sign. And it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know whether I should sign this or not. And there is this great tool called Packly, which is the first easily accessible um contract review tool so it's got some artificial intelligence stuff behind it that is aimed at people like us freelancers small business owners to understand the contracts that they're about to sign um without the need to go to a, a lawyer which i just think is wonderful so basically what you do is upload your contract and pretty much instantly you'll receive a report back of any risky or unusual clauses in the contract which is just a, a wonderful i just love it um, you can mm. get two reviews done per month for free, which for a lot of people is enough if you're, you know, doing part-time freelancing. Um, and you can sign 
sign up to get a contract reviewed in a matter oh. of seconds. It's really... Hey! <laughs> we've just had someone come in and interrupt our, uh-huh. our, our um, podcast. Yeah. Hello. This is Jude. Who's... Jude. Oh. Oh, he's got yeah, a have a good going on there. Ha- <laughs> have a good cough down the microphone, Jude. He just Jude. wandered in, bless him. Oh. Oh, so you didn't do like the um, like on that BBC presenter who tried to shoo <laughs> his little away. kids out of the room. Yeah, yeah, that was just brilliant. I loved it. <laughs> All right, well, Jude could listen to the rest of this. Just to wrap it up, um, so Packley is, um, you could set it up in a matter of seconds. You could try it out for yourself. Um, uh, you can find out more by going to PAC dot sg forward slash boag world um and if you decide that you want to use one of their paid accounts you can get 30 percent off the lifetime of that paid account by using the coupon code boag world so try it out try it with something like an nda if you're asked to sign an nda run it through this and you'll be you'll be impressed at how it can help right marcus Yes, Has Jude got a joke for us? Yes, Jude's got a little, a little joke. No, uh, Lyle shared a Tim Vine joke uh, in the joke channel this morning, and which, um, as always, made me titter, and it's quick. Uh, so here we go. Uh, what do you think about this one? I'd like to start with the chimney joke, with some chimney jokes even. I've got a stack of them. <laughs> oh, the first dear. one is on the house. Oh no! Oh, I love the double the double punchline there. Yeah, yeah, come on, quality. Excellent. Yeah, but you got grandson. How about that? That's cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's a shame that the majority of people will listen to this as an audio podcast because you're not seeing the cuteness. He made nice, cute noises though. Yes, like that. See? Yeah. (laughs) There we go. That's what you want on a podcast. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. It's always so nice to have you on the show and to catch up. It, it, it will be nice to do it in person before too long. But uh, thank you very much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, next time, we have um, Kyle, who is the uh, founder of Proposify, joining us on the show. Um, and maybe Jude will make in another appearance. Who knows? But until next week, goodbye. Oh, my God.